Hi, family. Welcome tonight to Woodland for our midweek service. I'm so glad that you're here. We're back in the book of Zechariah tonight. You know, John Maxwell said about this book, and I thought it was interesting coming from somebody who teaches business leaders around the world. And of course, John was a pastor at one time. John talks about the value of learning from the past, learning from the prophetic books that uh, Zechariah would have read. He also talks about the value of learning from people, and he talks about, in particular, this passage of learning from history as well. And I thought that was kind of an interesting take from someone who speaks to business leaders, in particular talking about this book. And I do think, and I was telling my wife this yesterday, this book has so much to say to us in the times in which we're living. Uh, We need to constantly be learning. I was commenting to a group of pastors that I was meeting with the other day that I never anticipated in my lifetime that our culture would change not only so rapidly, but so many times that I have seen culture change in, in, in my generation, how quickly all the trends of culture change. I mean, I, I'm just being honest. I, you know, I use this as an illustration uh, a few months ago, and they had a, there was a, I read an article about skinny jeans pastors and pleated pants pastors. And when I read the description of the skinny jean pastors and the description of the pleated pants pastors, as much as I hated to admit it, I'm in that pleated pants pastor generation. You don't want to see me in a pair of skinny jeans, trust me. You know, I, I tried because one of our staff members bought me a pair. I tried putting them on. I couldn't get my leg in them. And I'm not a big man. And so I said, here, you got to take these back. Just get me some Levi's 501s. You know, that's, that's what I really like. So tonight we're going back to the book of Zechariah. So much to share, so much to talk about, so much to go through. But let me encourage you, if you haven't already, go to woodland.church or download our app from Woodland. It's uh, Woodland Church on the App Store and um, the Google Play Store, whatever you call that, Android Store. I think it's actually Woodland Church 1 or something like that. But if you'll text the church, we can give you... Woodland Mobile, I'm being told. Woodland Mobile. So download our app, but listen to the message that I preach Sunday or take time to go through all three of the messages. I preach Sunday on covenant marriage. And friends, I was blown away. I have to be honest with you. I I left Sunday morning service feeling like, boy, I could have done so much more. I could have done so much better with that because of, you know, just trying to get everything in the time. And I I just had to lay it on the altar. I have gotten so much email and so many text messages uh, from, from people saying, oh, I've, I've never heard this. I wish I'd have heard about covenant and how that covenant is just so one-sided, how that you pledge yourself. And then I, I, I got a, an email from a man who said, you know, I sat and I listened and I wept as I heard that message. Now, you have to know this man. He is a man's man. He is, he is in, a, in, a, in, in the business of protecting our nation. And as I, as I read his email today, I just gave God thanks for his word. So here's two takeaways. Number one, listen to the message. But at the times that maybe you think you haven't done your best, that's sometimes a gut that when God shows up and does the most. At the times when I've really thought I've done my best, you know, it hasn't been nearly as influential. That's not an excuse for any of us not to prepare 
but it is to say always trust the Lord. And Sunday morning here at Woodland Church, uh, we have a great baptismal service. I'm just so excited about that. You want to be here for us, and I start a brand new series on the promises of God entitled, I Promise. We're going to look at what God has promised, and I hope you'll come and join us for this new series of messages here at Woodland. And if you haven't yet, please go online tonight, and um, those of you that are here, go online as well, or use your devices and, and give. You can text to give to Woodland Church, or you can uh, go online and give that way. And of course, we do accept checks and cash, and uh, we'll be happy to receive that as well. But let's have a word of prayer together right now. Father, thank you for this midweek service. Thank you for the time that we get together to just take a deeper look into the word of the Lord and go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Lord, through the book of Zechariah. I ask you to open our eyes. We are totally dependent upon you, Lord, to teach us and to help us to learn and grow in this. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, we've already done two messages in the book of Zechariah, so you're not far behind if you haven't been a part of this. So you can go online and get those messages as well. And tonight's notes are also uh, online as well. Here's what the word of the Lord says. And we're starting at Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 18. Then I looked up and I saw four animal horns. What are these? I asked the angel who was talking with me. Now notice, the scene has changed. This is the second vision. We, we looked at the first vision last week. This is the second vision. And this angel is going to accompany Zechariah through all of these visions. But last week, you remember, there were a number of angels. But now this, this one particular angel is going to be with him. So he says, I asked the angel who was talking with me about what these horns are. And he said, these horns represent the nations that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then the Lord showed me four blacksmiths. So the scene changes, same vision, but the scene changes. Then the Lord showed me four blacksmiths. What are these men coming to do, I ask? And the angel replied, these four horns, these nations, scattered and humbled Judah. Now these blacksmiths have come to terrify those nations and throw them down and destroy them. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, because this word has relevance for us today as well as it had relevance to the people that were listening to Zechariah in that day. Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is an exciting particular vision because some of this vision in all of the book of Zechariah is waiting to be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. But these visions were fulfilled in history already, and then there's an ultimate fulfillment to these visions. I love the fact that Zechariah, when it came to these blacksmiths, he didn't ask for an identity of who they were. He just asked, what are they come to do? And so often we're trying to identify every little prophetic metaphor and every prophetic image in the Bible when the goal is to take a look and say, what's going on and what's happening right here? Now, just quick review. We looked at the message that Zechariah bought, and we looked at who Zechariah was. The message was a message of comfort. So the book of Zechariah is a message of comfort to God's people who are undergoing tribulation, and they're in exile in Babylon. The second thing we looked at is that Zechariah died a young death. Um, Jesus referred to Zechariah, how he had been martyred. We looked at how that his father perhaps had been martyred as well and how that his grandfather had a great influence upon his life. And, 
And one of the lessons I wanted to draw out of that was never, ever, ever give up on the fact you're still having influence. If you don't have grandchildren close by, be sure that you're invested in the lives of our children and our teenagers here at church, in your neighborhood and community. It doesn't happen as much in the winter for those of you that are watching from somewhere else because, you know, we're just inside. It's just, it's freezing here tonight. As a matter of fact, I just finished shaking a while ago. That's how cold I've been. So, but in the summertime, it's amazing how many kids just come by and wave and I'm not their pastor, but they call me pastor and I've never even introduced myself to them as pastor. So invest yourself in the lives of kids. And just like Edo invested himself in the lives of his grandchildren, the first vision that we looked at, we saw the angel of the Lord, who's the, the image or the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ among us. We also looked at how that the Lord was not only aware of what was going on around the world, but how that he was sovereign in control of what was going on around the world. So now there's a second vision that Zechariah has. Now you'll notice the number in this vision, four, four horns, four blacksmiths. Four in the Bible is the number of completeness. It's the number of fullness. Notice this verse of scripture from Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord says, come away, flee from Babylon in the land of the north, for I have scattered you to the four winds. Well, we still use that four winds. I have a beautiful picture of my wife. We were in Rome, and there's a, a beautiful uh, fountain there that depicts four major rivers that are supposed to depict completeness that I took a picture of her in front of. So we still talk about the four points of a compass to indicate the totality of the globe of, our, of, our, of, of the world that we live in. And then in Zechariah 6, 5, he uses that number four again. These are the four spirits of heaven who stand before the Lord of all the earth. They're going out to do his work. Remember last week, we looked at those horsemen that go two and four. So you see four is the number of fullness. Now, when you read about the horns, and I'm just trying to give you some interpretive material here right now, the horns in the Bible are always a symbol of power. <clears throat> in our modern translations, oftentimes, horns will be translated as powers. So I chose tonight to go back to a, a, a book, of the, a, a translation, the New American Standard. I refer to this often because it's a literal, it's a little wooden to read, a little stiff to read. It's not a thought for thought. It's a word for word. And if you've heard me teach on translations of the Bible and how I use them, then you're familiar with that. The New Living Translation and the New International Version, they're thought for thought, the way we think in the Western world. But the, new, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, those are word-for-word -word translations. So let's take a look how horns are used in Psalm 75 and 4. I said to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift your horn on high. Do not speak with insolent pride. What's he saying to the wicked? Don't exert your power. Don't lift up your power. None of us should ever try to magnify and boast before the Lord how great we are. So these horns, these four horns, were the nations that had scattered Israel. And I like the way that Zechariah, because if you remember, those of you that are Bible students, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split. You had the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. You had the southern kingdom called Judah. And then the Lord just says, Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem. What are you saying? He's going to gather all of his people back from the four winds. And then in Psalms 89, 17, 
You are the glory of their strength, and by your favor our horn is exalted. This is not a judgment verse like the first verse was. This verse is giving God thanks that he's the strength of the nation of Israel and that God, by his favor, lifts up their king. When they says our horn, they're, they're talking about the king, whether that would be David or Solomon. You, you've lifted up our king. And so we should always be praying that the fear of the Lord will be in our nation, reverence for the Lord, and that God will give us godly leaders that will lead and guide according to the way that God has called us, and, and then, that our leaders would lead according to God's will. Now, the blacksmiths, let's take a look at them. The blacksmiths are the nations that God will use to defeat the enemies of the Jews. These are the nations that God is going to use to judge those people who had scattered Israel. Now, I could go in tonight on who those nations were. That's not the important point that I want you to get tonight. It wasn't Egypt. There's nowhere in the Bible recorded. Egypt never scattered God's people. Egypt made slaves out of God's people. And God's people, through the miraculous intervention of the Exodus, God's people left uh, Egypt. But there were nations like Babylon. There were nations like the Persians. There were nations that scattered Israel. But I really think these horns stand for all of the nations through history that have come against Israel. I wasn't alive during that time, but some of you may have been alive during World War II, and you know how cruel Hitler was. You know how cruel Stalin was towards the Jewish people. And even today, there are nations around Israel that are trying to destroy. Their whole goal is not just to do away with Israel, but to destroy Jewish people completely from the face of the earth. And I don't know about you. It should be if it's not, but it's very alarming to me the rise of anti-Semitism, not only in Europe and other parts of the world, but sometimes right here in the United States as well. So God's going to raise up these four blacksmiths. Now, this is important. These blacksmiths are going to be God's hammer against these horns. Now, let me take just a moment before I read the scriptures with this. Remember, in the Middle Eastern world, Horns would have been on a lot of the strong, like the ram or the goat or something like that. They were familiar with this. Even those Jews that had settled in down as far as what we would call modern-day Ethiopia, they would have been familiar with animals like the rhinoceros. So the horn was a, was a weapon as well as a means of defense. So they were very familiar with this. However, I don't think so much this is talking about an animal horn is it's talking about the military might of these nations because a lot of these nations on their armor at that time, there would be horns on their helmets to symbolize power and strength. And by the way, to bring fear, to strike fear into their opponents because not only did they make them appear bigger, but they made them appear more fierce. And so it's interesting that what God is using here is a blacksmith. And I think it's about armor here. And, and you can disagree with, you, with that if you like. I'm still right. But you can disagree with me on that if you want to. But just think about that after we read these verses of Scripture. So Zechariah says, what are these men coming to do? Notice he's not trying to identify who these nations are. What are they coming to do? The angel replied, these four horns, these nations scattered and humbled Judah. Now these blacksmiths have come to terrify these nations, throw them down, and destroy them. 
This is, again, in fulfillment. This promise, this is part of the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, we talked about covenant marriage on Sunday. We're going to talk about covenant promises this coming Sunday. But this is a part of the Abrahamic covenant where the Lord said in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. So you're seeing the Abrahamic covenant take place here. And for those nations that are persecuting the nation of Israel and the Jewish people today, they're inviting upon themselves the very judgment of God. Now, a question came up two weeks ago in our Zechariah. Last week, my wife spoke about baptism. But a question came up two weeks ago by you about a certain verse of Scripture. And I thought, boy, this is a perfect place to insert that verse of Scripture, if you remember we talked about. Now, notice this. We use God's mighty weapons. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm skipping a verse. Look at, with me at Jeremiah 23, 29. Remember what I said about the helmets? Sometimes I get so excited about a point, I skip ahead. Jeremiah 23, 9, God says, Does not my word burn like a fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that breaks, uh, that smashes a rock to pieces? Well, that's what a blacksmith's tool is, the fire and the hammer, as he hammers out that steel. So I can see this hammer. Now, let me give you just a little interesting personal story that happened to me. This is years ago in our first church. The church had a lot of difficulties and a lot of challenges within and without. We were building a school. We were, I was raising money to build a sanctuary. And we were in the process of adopting our first child. And there was just so much going on that one day I just felt like, Lord, I've got so many irons in the fire, I'm not accomplishing anything. A lady that worked for me in the school, a godly lady, I would have never just allowed anybody to do this, but a godly lady, she came to my, my study door and she knocked on my door and when I opened it, she says, Pastor, I just feel like the Lord wants me to pray for you. And I said, okay, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm exhausted. There's a lot going on. She comes in and she lays her hand on my shoulder and she prayed this verse of Scripture. She says, Lord, does not your word burn like a fire? And I pray that you will make it like a hammer and Pastor Clanton. All I can tell you is strength flowed into me that day, and it's like all that heavy burden lifted off, and I knew that my job was not to solve every problem. It was just to preach the word of the Lord. Now, having said that, that's what Zechariah is doing to the nation of Israel. Remember the first message, for the very introductory message? God is using Zechariah to touch the people's heart. God was using Haggai to motivate the people to build. But God is using Zechariah to touch and encourage the people of heart, not just to have the outward form of religion, but to go after God with everything that was in their life. And so God is using his word to encourage his people, but he will also use his word to judge their enemies as well. Well, here's the verse of scripture that came up a couple of weeks ago. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That's what the Word of God will do in your life. That's what the preaching of the Word of God will do. That's what the teaching of the Word of God. That's what your daily time in the Word will do. 
I've spent almost all my life studying the Bible, but every morning when I come, it comes time to study, I just, I, I kneel down again. When it comes time for my devotions, when it comes time to study, Lord, open your word to me. Teach me. I want to learn. Here's some lessons that we can take away from that. Number one, judgment or vengeance is God's expression of passion for his people. Judgment or vengeance is God's expression of passion for his people. Don't ever, ever think that God's forgotten you. Becky and I, just before service, we left a lady from our church that's in hospice care, and we just went down and hugged her, kissed her, prayed with her, and just sat and talked with her for a little while. I want her to know she's not forgotten. I let her know that you as a congregation have not forgotten her and that we love her. And I watched as my wife just held her hand and caressed her hand, and I thought God is using Becky right now just to demonstrate the love and the compassion and the care of the Lord in these final days of her life. So, beloved, I want you to know that when it comes to you and, and somebody has done you wrong, don't try to take things in your own hand. Don't gossip about them. Don't run them down. Don't try to take vengeance in your hand. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Remember what the Lord said to Zechariah to say to the people. And the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who taught with me. God's word is like a hammer. Zechariah 1.15, though, after he spoke those words, boom. This is just another verse later. He's like, boom. But I am very angry with the other nations that they're now enjoying peace and security I was only a little angry with my people. Remember, God judged his people because of their horrendous sins. They were in a covenant with God. They knew what they were doing when they broke faith with God. They knew what they were doing. God warned them through prophets. That's what Maxwell was getting at when I said earlier. Zechariah is an example of learning from the prophets. He says, but the nations inflicted harm on them far beyond my intentions. Second lesson I want you to see here is for every enemy that attacks God's people... God raises up another power to destroy it. In my life, in our home, and in our ministry, we've seen God when we've been persecuted for our faith, not when we've done something dumb and made a mistake on our own. When you do that, you repent and you ask forgiveness and go on. But I've seen God raise up even other believers to take our side. Years ago, I was preaching in another nation, a very modern city, and um, there was a group of people did not like what we were doing. We were planting a church. We were helping get a radio station built and established, and um, they tried to have me thrown in jail, and they had an article or called into the police that I was a CIA. Can you imagine me being a CIA agent, you know? And um, I am not Gabriel... Alon, you know, it's just not, it's just, you know, I don't have the burning green eyes. So here's the point. God raised up another group of people who saw the good. They weren't even Christians. They went down to the police station. They went to the mayor's office and they took out a full page ad about what we were doing. Not only did it give us favor, but all of a sudden there were so many lost people that wanted to come along and help. God will always raise up sometimes even unbelievers to come and help you get his work done. Notice this. This, to me, I think is just powerful. Remember I told you some of this is going to be fulfilled in the last days? Israel will always be persecuted. I hate to say that. 
I hate that it happens. The church will always be persecuted. Today, you have brothers and sisters that are suffering just because of the name of Jesus. There are Christians in America and Canada tonight that are suffering. There's a dad that's in prison right now because he will not call his son a girl. And so rather than sin against God and sin against his child, he's willingly gone to jail in another country because of that. So Christians are suffering tonight for being faithful to the Lord. But the day will come when Jesus will return. The Bible says in Revelation 19, 16, on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And then look at the very next verse. And the beast was captured. This is, now, this is prophecy that will be fulfilled at the end of time. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. That, was Jesus. that will be Jesus. And the vultures all gorged himself on the dead bodies. Now, you might be asking, Pastor, why are you leaping from Zechariah all the way to the end of the book of Revelation? Because I believe this particular vision of God's judgment upon the persecuting nations is an ongoing thing that has continued to happen in history, not only to the Jewish people, but to the followers of Jesus Christ that were thrown to the lions and the beast in the Colosseum that had been persecuted throughout history. Those Christians in Scotland that were tied to the stake and they sang hymns while the tide came in and drowned rather than deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, history is full of the blood of the martyrs that have followed Jesus, not just Jewish people, but people that are Christians. I sat <clears throat> in the Holocaust Museum in Farmington Hills for a lecture that I went to hear by a survivor of the Holocaust. And I listened to her as she talked about how that the church in Germany basically ignored what was happening to the Jewish people. And I remember sitting there thinking, and I'm making notes, and I wrote in the margin because, you know, I, I was writing in a, in a, on a tablet, and I wrote in the margin, and yes, that church suffered greatly in Germany because they turned their back upon the Jewish people. The church suffered greatly throughout Europe that turned their back upon the Jewish people. Friends, listen, we cannot ignore the sufferings of any group of people, whether it's the Uyghurs in China, whether it's Middle Eastern Christians being persecuted, or whether it's our Jewish brothers and sisters. And the time is coming when Christ is going to avenge all the blood that was shed. And so I want to encourage you. I, I don't know of anybody in this room tonight that is suffering, but somebody may be watching online, and you may be like that man who listened to the series on Covenant, and he said, I just broke down and wept as he shared some very personal things with me. You may be suffering tonight from an unjust boss. You may be suffering from a, a husband who is abusive and criticizing you for your faith. You may be a high school student that's suffering tonight. Or you may be watching from overseas and be a part of a persecuted group. Understand this. God knows where you're at. Be faithful. Don't deny Christ. And you will find that God will vindicate you as you stay faithful to his name. So what do we do with all of this? Let me just give you several little things for growth where I didn't, have, I didn't add scripture here because I do need to conclude at a reasonable time for our Q&A session here. 
Number one, don't be surprised by opposition. Don't be surprised when you're opposed for your faith. Don't be surprised when people try to silence you for your faith. A few years ago, it's been over 20 years ago now, I had a group of people that did not want me to preach on pro-life issues here at the church. And I just met with them and said, that's not going to happen. I, you know, I'm either going to go or you're going to go. But, I, you know, if, you, if you're not going to take it. Part of them left. Part of them stayed. Those that stayed actually repented of that. They just didn't want to hear about it because it affected the party that supported abortion. And I said, I'm not preaching politics. This has to do with real-life faith issues. So sometimes you're going to be pressed. But remember, that verse of Scripture, you take captive every thought, not by arguing with people, but by teaching, preaching, and living out the Word of God. It would be hypocritical of me to preach the Word and then not live by the Word. Does that make sense? So that's how you meet opposition. Secondly, trust God to defend you. I told you a great story. It's one of those defining moments in my life when God raised up a group of unbelievers to defend us for what we were doing in another country. God will defend you. God will protect you. The third thing, and I want to spend just a little bit more time on this one, and that is humility will prepare you to receive grace. Humility will prepare you to receive grace. Never get cocky. I cannot pastor a church on my own. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the smarts. I don't have the drive. I don't have the insight. I don't have the energy. I don't have the compassion to pastor a church on my own. But humility before the Lord to say, Lord, unless you go ahead of me, God, unless you work through me, there's no way I can do this. That prepares you to receive grace. And what is grace? Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. I don't deserve that, but can I let you in on something else? You don't deserve what the church, being a part of the church, means. I don't deserve people like you. You don't deserve somebody like me. We are recipients of grace. There's not an ounce of pride. There's not an ounce of egotism in that. We're just simply saying Christ is our all in our all. We live, we move, we breathe, we have our being in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? I mean, that's what this is saying. So in some of our most humbling situations, and I was, I just kind of did a mental recap this morning as I was working on this message. Honey, my wife's sitting over here to the right. Of all the times that we were not able and we just simply bowed before the Lord, personally, and even that first church, I could tell you story after story. You walk in, and all the floors are caved in one Sunday morning. You walk in, and all the roofs are caved in on one Sunday morning. And thing after thing, you know, that, and yet somehow or another, God provided and God built. Humility puts you in a place of receiving grace. The fourth thing is remember that God is the God of the impossible. And I love this word. I don't even know if it's the correct word. You can correct me later on if it is. The unimaginable. The unimaginable. Just put a U-N in front of imaginable. And where I get that from is the Bible says he is able to do abundantly and exceedingly above all that we would ever think or imagine. And so sometimes when I'm praying, I say, God, I really don't know if my request is big enough right now. So do what I can't imagine. Do the unimaginable. But I have got a secret for you. 
I got a really good imagination. You know, I can imagine a lot. Do the unimaginable. Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. That wasn't Norman Vincent Pill or John Maxwell or any other, you know, very positive, forward-thinking individual that said that. That's Jesus saying, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So you think about tonight, whatever you're facing, maybe you're facing oppression and opposition the way the people of God were. They were in exile. They had almost, they've been 70 years. And let me help you with this right now. There's not a one of us in this room, including your pastor, that can put ourselves in their shoes. We've never lived in exile. We've never had a government terrorize us. We've never been slaves. So it's really difficult to put ourselves in their shoes. But if we'll listen to the lessons, how much greater things can God get done through us if we'll follow it? And then finally tonight, pray for the persecuted church. And I should add to that, pray for Israel as well. The Bible tells us pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, if you go to idop.com or .org one, it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It takes place every November, I believe. But just go and 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 look at how the church is suffering around. The, it's an eye-opening experience. I went there to the website today and just kind of scrolled through it. But pray daily when you pray for the persecuted church. Pray for Israel daily. And I would say, especially right now, pray for the church in Ukraine. Um, you know, we really need to be praying for this whole situation. I, you know, I, I remember 9-11. And I remember coming home that night after being here at the church that day and coming home that night and just sitting there watching the news for a little bit. And then we came down to the church and we opened the doors for prayer. And our, our sanctuary just filled up. And I remember coming home after that service that night and thinking, if this goes into a war, my sons could be in this war. And my oldest son was 13 years old. And sure enough, he ended up in this war. And friends, hear me tonight. If something was to happen, and I pray that it doesn't, that this was to break out to be a world war in Europe, because it's right back in Central Europe, which is historically, in the last century, has been such a hotbed, this could be your children and your grandchildren. If the fact of the Ukrainian's plight doesn't motivate you, think about your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren and the rest of the world. The world needs our prayer, but remember the lessons from the second vision of Zechariah tonight. I'm out of time. I got to go. I love you. Thanks so much. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to have a Q&A session right here um, in our service tonight. Father, thank you for those that have joined us this evening. Thank you for those that um, have taken the time Lord, to learn and to profit from the book of Zechariah. Lord, as we go through this powerful little book, we're going to see why it's the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. We're going to see why Jesus quoted it more than any other prophet. But we're also going to have a vision, Lord, of the end of time, Jesus, of how you're going to come back and set up your kingdom. We love you, and I ask you to encourage and bless us and bring us all together safely Sunday to worship you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Good night.